Hey, thank you for listening and watching Mastermind in Your Pocket. Today we have very special hosts, and they are experts from around the world. Or from where are you from? Park City, Utah. Park City, Utah. Heber, tell us about yourself. Um, I'm a certified life coach. Um, I well, how much do you want to know? <laughs> um, well, we have an hour. I mean, if you want to take up the whole hour, and you're good for yourself. I'm a professional coach. I like working with uh, relationships, people uh, who are struggling with intimacy and um, uh, with divorce, marriage, their goals and ambitions, and such in those fashions. And I also like coaching people who are really motivated in their careers and can't figure out what is actually missing. So those are the that's what I do. Great. McCall? I'm McCall. I also live in Park City um, with our eight-month-old. With me. Yeah. With him. <laughs> uh, he, he's not my eight-month-old. And um, <laughs> I'm a nutritionist, a master nutritionist. I trained in functional medicine because I wanted to go deeper and really learn how to be the detective, not just diagnose a disease, not just give you some natural remedy, but actually figure out the root cause, and then address that with whatever means is going to be most effective. Um, I started coaching and consulting practitioners and coaches about four years ago and um, love, love that. So I help healers be more effective and be able to communicate effectively about what they do. I'm Elizabeth Maservi, recently certified life coach and certified sign language interpreter. So I love working with the deaf community, anyone who has a disability or that in their family, like with their child, um, and families in general. Just that's one of my superpowers is empowering moms. Cool. I'm Adam Tajdeen. Uh, I run a show called Ultraperform Show and Ultraperform Marketing. We do the marketing for you so you don't even have to lift a finger and we guarantee results. And today we're talking about effective structures for sales, business, and life. And uh, how did we come up with that? Why, why did we decide to do that today? Well, last week we were talking about communication. And then I felt like um, I think we didn't cover that part of communication inside of business. So it seemed like a natural segue from effective communication in businesses to how do we land sales? Because obviously communications is a tool of sales. Yes, it's a big tool of sales. you got to communicate to do sales, right? Um, also, I'd like to say, sorry, we're late. We're about uh, 10 minutes late. We'll not be late next time. Phone number? The phone number is, if you want to call in, it's 713-955-0531. And uh, while one of you are sharing some of the stuff on sales, I'm going to add it to our Facebook post so people have that also. Awesome. Um, well, Heber, do you want to start with effective strategies for salesmen? Sure. Um, so my background in sales is um, I've done door-to-door uh, for several companies, and it was it's very trying. I had no sales experience before I did door-to-door, and I loved my mentorship. Um, the guys that trained me were exceptional, and they were very personal, and they were really out to see me succeed. Um, so... The, I think one of the first keys is that you don't reinvent the wheel in sales. Um, there's no products out there that require a salesman that there's not an effective salesman for. Uh, so what that, mean, what that means is like an apple doesn't require a salesman. You're just going to go buy an apple. You might have a choice in the apple, but um, vacuums or you know, alarms, we have different products in the market that require a salesman. Uh, either due to lack of education or lack of interest. And that's the primary objective of a salesman is to develop enough interest or increase the value of something over the cost. Very simple equation. So um, when you say increase the value, you mean for the other person's perception, right? Because it's going to have a certain, what do you mean by that? I guess that's what it's, I'm left with is when you say a salesman's job is to increase the value over mm-hmm. the purchase price. What do you mean? Right. So, um, uh, what is the saying? Um, once value increases cost, but there, a transa- transaction happens. Say that again? Once value mm-hmm. over supersedes cost, a transaction okay. happens. Okay. So if I want to buy a car, and I want to buy a Subaru, 
then I'm, if I walk onto the lot and value is not present for me, I have to, I'm constantly ju um, judging between the cost of the car versus the value. So typical, it's very typical for a salesman to say, okay, we're going to focus on the benefits. So that's a salesman's going to approach me and talk about the benefits of the car to increase the personal value for me. Okay. So once that value increases, then $30,000 becomes less of a consideration. The more value is actually there. So cost is an actual specific number. Value is completely emotional. And then they say that once you understand the benefits and you make the purchase, I'm going to go justify with all of the features of, of the vehicle. So I don't go to my friends and tell them how much it makes me feel. <laughs> I go tell them how cool it is. Like, this is what the car actually does. You know, if it's got a turbo, let's talk about the turbo. You're going to drive. increase the value for your friends. Well, I'm, I, it's justification. Right, so right. We don't actually, I mean, in their perception, it would be like, oh, yeah, that is more valuable, right? Right, exactly. Okay. So um, so the point that I was talking about is not reinventing the wheel. So, it, like, there's always going to be a mentor in every field. If, if you're lucky enough to start a field of sales in something that's never been done before, uh, well, it's, just don't reinvent it. Like, that's one of the first, like, advices that I have, like, because you know, we – as a salesman, we want to resist the process. We want to go try to figure out how to do things newly. Um, you know, I was doing door-to-door -door sales. I, you know, I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll go try selling businesses instead of um, residences. And then I'm, then I'm fooling myself. There's actually, in any sales position, there's actually an effective way to do it. And when you stick to that, you're going to actually see better results. Uh, so any questions on that? Mm -mm. Don't really okay. The next. Basically, the company. That's not my world, so I'm just getting clear. Um, who, whatever product you're selling, they've already done the work for you. So if you can basically learn how to use those materials and find a mentor that's effective in their sell, sales, mm -hmm. that's a more effective strategy than. More often not, I think that's the case, and okay. mo cool. most of the salespeople that I work with usually get hung up, and I actually direct them to the mentors and the people who have been successful in their industry. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I would say that would go for service sales too. I really like that. Find a mentor that's, that's actually effective mm -hmm. and learn their traits. That's yeah. And then of course, they're probably going to direct you to um, books. I mean, there are some uh, very specific books and sales that I think are that everybody reads like uh, psychology of selling. If you work in sales and you haven't read Psychology of Selling, then I don't know what you're doing. So there, are, there's definitely some literature out there that's very that covers all the very fundamentals on you know developing interest, um, finding your target market. What um, are some just for people? Yeah, those, those well, pick all the lowest hanging fruit. I mean, that's one of the biggest things for me is that, like especially when I was doing door to door, I would uh, let's, let's say solar for instance. Uh, one of the things in solar is find all the south facing roofs, you know, find people who have signs uh, that they bought from door to door people before. So if I'm selling solar and I walk through a neighborhood and I see somebody that has their alarm sign out front, I know that they have made a purchase or an acquisition from a door to door salesman before. And even better, it's more in my favor if they have a south facing roof. So all of those strategies back to finding a mentor, I wouldn't have got without actually being coachable and trainable from from a mentor. So are the strategies you've said so far, don't reinvent the wheel and find an effective mentor. Mm -hmm. okay. So far, yeah. And lowest hanging fruit. Yeah. That's really good. And the mentor will, you find a mentor, they're going to tell you how to do it. Mm -hmm. Typically in our world, your, whoever your boss is overrides on you or something. So they're, they're really out there to help support you. So I think the actual coaching there is don't resist your boss, which a lot of people don't like to hear. <laughs> Because they're out, they're out for you to win. They really are. And if you're not getting that, if that's not the communication you're getting from them, there's probably something else going on that we can work with. So I'll tell you later how to get a hold of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next one is, um, is that complete? We move on to the next mm -hmm. one. Next one is tracking your results. So when I was doing sales, I got so specific that I would, every single door that I would knock on, I would track and I would develop and I would figure out how many doors it would take to knock on, how many people I would talk to, 
to how many houses I got into, to how many sales I closed. And then I could, then I would effectively know how much of a day, how much of my day it would take for me to get the sell. So that's a huge one. And there's tons of really easy apps that you can download. Um, like um, I have one uh, that tallies everything I do and then I can title it and I can actually go through and um, What's that app? Uh, it's just tally counter. Oh, okay, cool. So then, then I would just go through and I mean, there's, and it's going to vary, but you can come through the averages. Like one day I knocked uh, like 20 doors and I had uh, five conversations and three sales. That's pretty good. So um, that's actually really good um, for 20 doors. Um, Does it work in, so from some of my training um, around accomplishing different things, you know, leading projects and stuff, we do track the stats um, so that we can actually look at what isn't working. I don't know. Does that work for sales? Like if you knocked this many doors and you got into this many houses, but your closes were small, would you actually in sales be able to Absolutely. see where it's not working? Absolutely. So uh, how that turns up is that say you're knocking 20 doors and you're getting into 20 houses, that's extremely effective, but then you're not, you're not actually closing any of them. That means that you're actually doing something to get into the house without um, preparing the cell or you're being too ambitious or once you get into the house, you're fumbling, like you're having a problem with clothes. So uh, like for me, like my stats, like being able to talk to five people, get into five houses and, and uh, close three deals. Um, I'm actually going, uh, I'm not, that's actually really good. That means I'm actually getting in the appropriate houses, like on the doors. So um, yeah, anything that you're doing that you can statistically track, you're going to be able to represent somehow something in your pitch, something in your body language. It will all come out of the statistics. That's cool. Um, if people can't figure it out, call you. <laughs> what, what were, what's the ratio look like on average for you or an average door-to-door -door person? Like how many houses do you have to go to? How many doors do you get in? What's your percentage? I mean, I think it's going to on average, maybe. I think, well, I don't know actually how to answer that. I think that um, an extraordinary door-to-door -door salesman probably gets into 50% of the doors that they knock. 50%. Yeah, because they because of their they're uh, really cultured. They're um, they've developed themselves. They know the signs to look for. Um, they've seeded the neighborhood. They they know exactly what's going on. Seeded. What do you mean by that? Well, they go the, when you go through the neighborhood and you um, you talk to specific people. Like a lot of people will go talk to, uh, you know, like the uh, HOA, or they will go talk to the police officers in the neighborhood. People who are really aware of what's going on, they'll actually get a feel for it, and then they will actually develop an, a, like a strategy from there to who to talk to. Um, obviously, you want to talk to people that are home, you know. So once you actually get a feel for the neighborhood, you're and your um, uh, like farming appropriately, then your likelihood goes up. So, and then at, like when I very first started, um, I wasn't tracking and we even have an app with all the houses on it and I wasn't tracking um, the houses and I wasn't doing anything and I have no idea what's going on. Like I'd walk down a road and I wouldn't even know if I had talked to this person in this house or not. Now I'm knocking on a door for a person who I've already talked to and now they're even more pissed off than they were before. And then I'm clumsy and I'm, you know, um, not talking fluidly. So as you go through and you track, you can actually see um, who you talk to, who you haven't talked to. Um, and as I was saying, when I began, um, my, uh, my mentor said, you know, you need to talk to at least 50 or 60 people a day. And I was like, oh, yeah, I got to be doing way more than that. I swear I'm talking to like 150 people a day. And then when I actually started tracking it, it was like maybe 20. Mm -hmm. So like tracking, tracking yourself effectively, what you're doing shows you what's real and how you, where you need to improve. So really cool. Great. Yeah. So 50%, that's like every other, mm -hmm. every other person. That's extraordinary. And yeah. that's possible. That is possible. Wow. That's really cool. Takes a lot of time to get in there, though. I have questions, but I don't know. How are we on time? Should we switch? Well, we can. 
You can do whatever you guys want. Okay, now, well, that, now that I've got a racket drop, I don't know what to say. About. <laughs> Nobody knows what that means, Adam. No, <laughs> um, okay, so I'm wondering, like, what is your opinion? So uh, sales is, like, negative. There's a lot of negative connotations to sales. And, like, salesmen, there's a lot of negative connotations there. Like, you have to be a manipulator or lie or you, they're pushy, or, you know, all of those things. So, like, what's your experience with playing the game effectively, I guess, without the negative connotation? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, do you have to be pushy? Do you have to be manipulative? You know, how do you actually do that without all the negative stuff? Well, my experience in sales is that if I have a product that I'm selling that I'm passionate about, then I'm actually searching for people who at least have some of that passion as well. So as I'm going door to door, you know, if people are slamming the door in my face, that's an obvious indicator. But then if they're extremely resistant on the door, as I'm, uh, as I'm compelled to express my, my passion for the product, like there's just a lot of resistance. So, I mean, I think it just depends on how much you want to push that passion on others. So for me, it was it was never like a really effective thing to sit there and just try to um, manipulate or coerce. It's actually more effective for me to uh, get better at my pitch, um, be more honest about the features of the product that I think are like genuine, um, uh, authentically listen to their concerns, and if they're not there, go find somebody else. I'm not going to waste my time on you know somebody who just is not who's somebody who's like completely apathetic or totally resistant to what I'm saying. Just it's a drain. Just sit there and talk and talk and talk and have them just like, no, 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 no. Like, mm-hmm. great, I'll go find somebody else, you know? So and there's people out there. Like there's I don't think that there's any product on the market that's not sellable. Like mm-hmm. or else it wouldn't exist. It's just that's just the case. I mean wow. everything that's out there is, has a practical application and there's a certain demographic or there's a certain percentage of people who, who will sell it. So one mentor told me at one point in time when we were doing door-to-door sales is that um, we are selling to people who have 20 to 30% interest in this product already. Because the people who have 50% interest in the product already went to the retailer and got sold. So people who have 10% take too much work. So we're actually trying to find the people who are 20 to 30% interest and then push them the rest of the way. So that's really cool. So instead of just like focusing on your pitch, you're looking for their concerns and considerations, hearing them out and actually addressing that, which to me, like feels a lot more authentic and honest than just somebody with an agenda. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's back to statistics. If um, you have a nutrition rating, people who actually, who the product actually sticks to. So, um, my first year of doing alarms, I think I had two people cancel on me when you have people who are dealing with cancellations every week. So that's a sign of an honest sale. Mm-hmm. My customers are completely informed about what they're getting. Mm-hmm. They're, they're completely informed about it. They have no resistance to it. And when they sign up, they know fully um, about what they're getting themselves into. So and then a really pushy manipulative salesman goes in there, you know, sells it, closes the deal. And then two weeks later, they're trying to cancel. That means that there's some integrity or some, you know, something inauthentic. You know, either they pushed too hard or they lied. And that always shows up inside of the statistics. Sure. Mm-hmm. So. Awesome. McCall? Um, oh, yeah. Can I share about yeah. sales? Yeah. So, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so going along with what Heber said, um, I'm, my take on sales is how can we apply you know, principles of sales to any area of life. So if you're not a salesman, what are the, what's the value? And particularly the principles of listening and service, like being of service to the other person. So um, Heber touched on this, um, listening in a particular way. So he, touched, he talked about listening for already existing interest, right? So, for example, in any relationship, like with your boss, um, you want to be listening for what matters to them when you're like, let's say you want to get a promotion that takes sales, right? Mm -hmm. You want to be aware of the value that you provide above the purchase price, right? 
And then you want to be listening for any, what's important to your boss, you know, before the conversation so you're aware. And then also during the conversation, your boss is actually going to say stuff. And what tends to get in our way is what we already know they're going to say, what we already have decided about the other person. So this is just an example with your boss. You could equally apply it to your spouse, um, your child. You know, you just want to be, you know, aware that you already have decided some things about that person. And those decisions are right in between you and actually hearing what they mean. Um, hmm. So that the key is, or what can make listening effective is when you get present, like notice your decisions that you've already had, your assumptions, and what's already going on inside your brain with that little blah, 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 blah in the brain. And once you've noticed it, to either examine it, like, okay, is this reality? And maybe even to set it aside and go in saying to yourself, the truth is I don't know what they're going to say, and the truth is I don't know how they already think. Hmm. So that can be really massive. How can that work? Um, totally get what you're saying because I'm like, yeah, if I think of making a request of Heber, I'm like, I probably know how this is going to go. You know, I already, yeah. I can word for word probably come up with that. <laughs> so um, how do I get that it, I really don't know? Like, cause yeah. you know, it feels so real that I do know. And probably like 99% of the time I might be right. I could convince myself of that. Yeah, you'll so find how, for it. Yeah, like enroll okay, me in doing that so, exercise and tell me what's possible for doing it. So while you have noticed this is present, how long have you guys been married? Two years. Two years. So a lot of people have been married longer than that. And it gets worse the more you know someone. <laughs> Are you telling yeah. you experience? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so the longer you know someone, the, the more you think what you know about them is the truth. So we're talking about dealing with an assumption, like really taking on what I'm kind of challenging any of you who are listening to do is take on that, just pretend that what you know about the other person isn't the truth. It's just mm. your opinion. Okay, so McCall, what you're going to do, what I'm going to coach you to do, okay, you want to ask something from Heber and you know what he's going to say, to just, first of all, Notice exact, notice that, oh, that's what I made up about it that might or might not be true. So notice mm -hmm. it, okay? And then when you go to Heber, say, to be responsible, you know, I've already, I, I want to ask you something, and I've already decided how it's going to go, like what you're going to say. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't want that to be in the middle, so I can't hear what you're actually saying. Mm -hmm. Then shut up mm -hmm. and see what Heber says. Yeah, I really get that. And I can see how when I haven't done that, I'm already being a certain way, like I'm already protecting or I'm already defensive or I'm already guarded or I'm already like in my vocal tones. Yeah. I'm not like excited. So pause right there. Yeah. So you're already responding to what you decided is going to happen in the future that isn't real. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And keep going now. Yeah. So then yeah. I'm already being weird about it. Right. And then he's like picking up on me being weird. So it like doesn't, like I don't give it any chance. I can see how when I just, like, let all that go and I'm like, hey, do you want to do this? He's like, sure. Well, that's you know, so you just said when I let it go. So once you've practiced being responsible for, oh, I've got a conversation in my head about how this other person is going to respond to me, then after you practice that for a while, you can actually set it to the side. And you'll notice, like, it literally feels like there's less in between you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Okay, and what do you think Heber's experience is when you bring it, like, you know the truth, you already know what he's going to say. Trap. He I already like know. Trap? Yes. Oh, so you mean like Heber said it felt like a trap and you actually heard him. That's awesome. I'm like a wild animal going through the woods and I know there's something wrong. I can just feel it. Yeah, like, I feel the fear, the tension. I don't even want to take a next step because yeah. I feel like there's a snare. Yeah. 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 yeah, things are not right. Trap. Yeah. It got quiet. Yeah. And my instincts are just to, yeah. like, run. One wrong move, and start backing away. That's so true, right? Yeah. So there literally is, it's like in, a, in some ethereal way, there literally is something in between you, and yeah. he's already sensing it, already afraid, and already reacting to it. Yeah, and so am I. So what would the experience be, or what has it been when you've said, so Heber, there's something I want to ask you, and I'm, I'm, I'm either scared of what you're going to say, or I've already decided I know what you're going to say. What do you think his experience would be in that moment? Just that I'm being real. 
don't know if that's true, but like yeah. I, I'm safe. So I'm safer because I'm all on the, the table. If if she's like, hey Heber, I'm noticing I've got a trap over here to catch you in, and I don't, you know, I'm aware of it, and I actually just want to communicate. Then what what is it like for you? Well, it just it doesn't seem very significant. Mm, mm. So it's not like I have to back up, like oh no, there's no. a hunter around the corner. Yeah. Like okay, you talk you're able to be there. It's like the same as dinner. Like if you had a if you had a conversation about dinner, it, just, it would be the, it would land the same way. So it's like almost like it's your considerations or whatever you have going on for yourself, like your fears. When I'm just like, this could be a talk that's just like dinner. Yeah. That's cool. Which we don't that's fight about. We don't true. fight about dinner. So perfect. Okay, so that might create like an environment where you can actually say Heber whatever you actually feel, and you might get hurt. Yeah. Instead of McCall's already her decision about what you're going to say. Because once we decide, what, what can happen is if we don't get that out of the space, regardless of what Heber says, like blah, 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 all you're going to hear is what goes through your filter of what you already decided he's going to say. You yeah. don't actually hear the whole thing. Yeah. Just evidence. I'm you're just evidence hearing what my... you already decided he was going to say, regardless of what he actually says. Well, yeah. you kind of, if I can jump in, you kind of program yourself that way because... Uh, I don't know, maybe a year it took me to replace the taillight on my car. I bought it brand new to replace. It took me a year. When I pulled up today, I thought to myself, oh, today would be a great day to put the headlight, the taillight. I finally put it already. Mm. But I was already programmed mm. because I've been like, oh, I got to put that, not every day, but all the time. I got to put that taillight in. I got to put that taillight in. Up, put that taillight in. <laughs> so you kind of program yourself to yeah. react away, mm-hmm, or yeah. it's just it's just like uh, an affirmation, but the other way. Right. Um, yeah, that's true. And if we if we could go to the call. Yeah, for sure. That's yeah. really cool. Um, can I say one thing on that? Because yeah, sure. I just yeah, reminded. Yeah, oh yeah. Like um, so we had this fight. And it always goes the way it always goes. We haven't transformed that yet. I'm working with my coach. He's working with our coach. And I'm like, but it's not resolved yet. I know it's going to happen again. <laughs> right? I, like, I actually decision, right? know it's about? going to. Yeah, it's so the there's no okay. new structures. There's no, we haven't even resolved this. I know it's just going to happen again. And she's like, well, you know, what's the impact of you protecting yourself from that? Mm. Which is exactly what you're saying. And I was just like, oh, crap. I'm like, the impact is that I'm going to create that it happens again because I'm being weird about it. And I just, that's what had me let it go. And, you know, even if it does happen again, I want to be available totally so that we can resolve it and, like, grow through it. Yeah. Instead of, like, oh, see, here it is again. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so you're really pointing to something distinct. So it's when you come to the conversation already knowing how it's going to go, it actually invites that to stay, whatever the problem is. When you come available to see what's actually, like when you set aside your decisions that we've been talking about and you bring yourself fully open to whatever might be there for the other person, you have a chance at actually getting something resolved. Yeah. It's like you see what's actually causing the issue instead of reacting to the fact that there's mm-hmm. an issue. Totally. I want to like, I want to point out this is really common in a professional setting to have the same exact interaction with your boss. Mm-hmm. Like you're dealing with a fear mechanism most common or your uh, lack of conflict resolution where you may potentially be the answer to the boss your boss's problem because you're in that industry. You have a background, you're familiar with what's going on, and your inability to uh, contribute on that level might be hanging you up for the same exact reason. It all has to do with like a fear-based um, conceptual context that we create when we're really young. So, and it's totally natural. It's your, one of so your you survival might be mechanisms. Approaching your boss with like something in between you, like, oh no, I'm going to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, and that yeah. is not going to allow you to hear what he's actually Even your saying. Value. It's not going to let you hear what's important to him so that you could serve him, increase your value, and possibly get that raise, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. So, um, what I do is a little bit different from product sales um, because it's selling myself or selling a service, 
you know, selling a process or a program that I create. Um, and it's very personal. It's interpersonal because it's myself. And a lot of um, practitioners or healers, you know, people that do service sales, we have to directly confront our value, right? When it's a different product, mm. totally separate from my value, it's much safer. Um, it can be, it feel, can feel much safer. So the first place that I look at is really getting my own value and the value of what it is that I provide. If I'm not present to my own value, there's no way that I can communicate that. Um, and oftentimes, you know, what gets in people's way is, well, when I get, you know, X, Y, Z certification or credential, when I have this many years of experience, when I have this many testimonials, when my Facebook page like, looks like this, when I have the website that of my dreams, you know, when, 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 then I'll be credible or then I can market effectively. But all of that actually will just keep you in the trap of, you know, if, when, someday, then I'll feel confident enough to, you know, you never end up getting confident enough because it's always dependent upon those external things. So the first place is really identifying what is the actual value of what I'm providing and communicating that value. So, and when the value supersedes the cost, people buy. So how I say that is when people are enrolled, like they're moved, they get that, you know, what it is you're offering is actually available for them, like really available, they will say yes. Um, so for example, um, I'm a nutritionist. Now I could say I'm a nutritionist. I can provide diet plans. I can provide lifestyle plans. I can, you know, do emotional relief. I can X, Y, Z, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's not really enrolling. That sounds great, right? But it does, you kind of, uh, you know, tune it out or it stays over here. Like that's great for you. And I'm sure some people like you've, you do. Heard, you've heard it before. Or you've heard it before, or you don't even know what it means. Like, what does that actually mean? So instead, what I deliver is what's actually available through my diet plan, right? Through the workup. So I get to the root cause of chronic illness and disease. And I actually educate you on why it's happening. So, you know, most of my clients, you know, come from the doctor and they have a diagnosis or not. If they have a diagnosis, I ask them, well, does your doctor tell you why you had diabetes? And they're just like, no, I never thought about that before, right? So I get to the root cause, I get to the why, and I educate my clients on how to not only solve it in the short term, but how to maintain it a lifetime. And when they graduate from my care, they actually know more than a medical doctor does about their own well-being, how to maintain it, and what to do in case anything comes up. They get flared up or whatever, eat 12 donuts, you know. They know how to get back to <laughs> possible, no. Um, are you hungry? <laughs> I am hungry. Um, so, you know, they know how to, you know, everybody gets flared up through the holidays usually because they cheat here and there. But they know exactly what to do to get back to where they need to be and they have the motivation. So that's what I provide, right? I didn't talk at all about how I do that. So I'm actually delivering the communication of what's available to the clients and that's the biggest thing that people in service sales can do. Um, don't get caught up in the details or how you do what you do. That Save that for you know a committed conversation where you're actually in an appointment educating. Um, really just give the elevator speech about what's possible. I can, you know, disappear your diabetes. Or I can teach you how. You know, that's a huge statement, but people get it, right? Oh, my gosh, I want to know more. So that's the biggest thing is delivering value and really making sure that people get that that's actually possible for their lives. Um, that's where I always start. So I think that's super useful. Like I just got my life coaching certification and now I need to develop how to explain my value. Absolutely. And people don't know what a life coach is and right. they have all this machinery in their head already telling them what that means or if they need it or not. So if you can actually deliver what I coach in is like give an example. So on Saturday I did a coaching session with a, um, he's an engineer and um, about 26 years old, and um, it was on getting debt-free. Mm -hmm. And in his mind, he had to start eating rice and beans, and like, mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, well, let's look. Let's look. So we looked together at everything, right? And what he got was like 
oh my gosh, it's actually possible. Without reducing his lifestyle, he actually makes mm -hmm. enough that without reducing his lifestyle, he could get out of debt within his, like he was really hoping for a year. It's like, yeah, you don't even have to cut out all your travel to do that, right? Mm -hmm. And we just had to look at and be responsible. Like, so it, I didn't communicate before the coaching session the value, but once it was going, he's like, whoa, like, oh my gosh, coaching. Like, I didn't know this is what was possible, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know, I guess. So let's say, um, you know, if you were like, so I'm a life coach and I can coach people in their finances. Yeah. That's what you want to say. I want to say that, but what I could say is work with me and you could be debt-free faster than you think is possible. Yep. Without reducing your lifestyle. Yeah. Without eating exactly. rice and beans. Exactly. And okay. that lands like, oh my gosh, I'm so interested in that versus some conceptual, I do financial coaching. Right. Yep. Okay. And, and it's so simple, but we didn't learn this in nutrition school. Like most people don't learn this in business school. So it actually takes a certain, you know, practice and skill set. What I usually have um, most of my clients or my practitioners or coaches that are training with me do is, you know, we practice this together, but I have them actually talk to three people in their life after they get the difference between, you know, an effective and ineffective way of, you know, selling yourself and, you know, go try it out with three people and have them ask, come up with three questions of, that they want to know and practice answering okay. those three questions and really check in with them and say, do you want to work with me? Or at least did I pique your interest enough that you would want to schedule a free consult or schedule, you know, the next conversation and they will be honest with you. So the more you practice, you know, the more you will see an effective um, conversation. And I say every conversation should lead to something. That's my definition of effective. Every single conversation that you have should actually lead to a friend or family member being referred or them wanting to work with you and move forward. So just like 50%. Say that, say that again. Um, okay, so just, every, just, yeah, just, yeah, every pitch you have or every, yes, every conversation you have um, should actually produce something, whether it's a referral of a family or friend or coworker or whatever, or whether it's them just wanting to, you know, work with you and go into the next conversation. It should always move forward. So that's what I say is possible, just like he says the big 50% number. Can we roll quickly? Just for a sec. Sure. Then I'll go. I'm tired. <laughs> oh, I don't want to just because yeah, you're saying every interaction, right? Yeah, so, I wouldn't normally laugh at you. <laughs> no, 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 Voice to voice. 
And from my voice to voices, probably 80% of people sign up for the free consult. Out of the free consult, probably 80% of people sign up for care. So it's, and out of, I have a different process, you know, where I do an intake process, which is different. Yeah, which is different than them signing so up for a package. first before they yep. And I probably have 80% of those actually sign up for a big package. Do you tell Three them, to nine grand. Do you tell them how much it is? I guess you do. I don't at first. I don't at first, right? Um, so most people, you know, they're like, hey, how much is this going to cost? Um, so I actually don't address that specifically because if they're in a money conversation, they're not in a value conversation. So I don't address money until they're really clear on what's available. So I say, well, um, you know, it depends on what you need, you know, so why don't we do the free consult and then I'll know a little bit more about your case and what you need. And then I only tell them, so here's the new client intake fee, right? Which is small. It's just a qualifying fee. And then they choose to do that. And then it's, at the report of findings where I'm like, okay, here's the plan, here's what we think, here's how we're going to go about it, here's how much time it's going to take, um, then I actually talk to them about package. So I actually have up to five conversations with them about value before I actually go for a big financial commitment. Um, so if they are in like, well, how much time is it going to take, how much energy, how much money, they're not present to value, right? Once they're present to value, I actually say, well, you know, I work with people with finances and we can create something that works for you. What about the, uh, the thing I, I feel like is missing is that what about the people that um, are like, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be pushy. I'm not saying you're being pushy. Mm. But they might, they might uh, view it as being pushy, totally. like, I'm tired. Hey. You want you want a free gun call? Yes. You know they might view it that way, and totally. I can see the way you're saying delivering it. You don't see it that way, but you are. You do have the. Uh, it does take a lot of bold. You want it, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I that I love that you brought that up because it comes up with every single one of my practitioners and coaches. They're like, "Oh, that's really blunt. You know, that's really bold. That's really courageous." And what you're I, going right in there and asking for the date when I use the. No, I love that. So what I actually do is I, if the, if pushiness is in our space in marketing, it's going to come out. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's and if pushiness is in our space, too. yep. Then we're not actually present to the value for ourselves. So what I actually do is I talk with, you know, the practitioner, let's say you, What's really available for someone through working with you, Adam? Like, what is actually available for them? Increase in sales and automated marketing. And what does that make available for their life? Freedom. Say more. Like, freedom in what areas? Like, what do they get when their marketing is effective? They get freedom. They get to achieve their goals. They get to achieve their dreams. In what way? Well, and what I'm hearing from freedom is they don't have to sacrifice their time for it to be effective. They don't have to be. Well, the big, the big thing I've seen with entrepreneurs, I mean, I, I, it's different when I address it in a conversation. But sure. The biggest thing I've seen with entrepreneurs specifically is that they get blocked mm-hmm. by something and yep. it stops their goal, their dream, their service. So whether it's developing a website or getting out there and doing marketing or doing videos, yeah. I help coach them through that and I make them do it. Yeah. Or we, we do it for them. Like, hey, here's a website. I put up information. I just, I scavenge. I need your information to put on there. But you have a live website now. Mm. Your blocks are done. They're done. Wow. So that's huge. So that's, yeah, you that's, know, that's for being an entrepreneur, yeah, it's, to be blocked because mm-hmm. what we do works, right? Mm-hmm. Like most people in sales totally believe in what they do. They know it works. They're incredibly brilliant and skilled. But they can't communicate that. Mm-hmm. So if we actually are present to what is available for entrepreneurs if we're working with you, right? Don't you want to provide that? Don't you want people to know that that's available? It's not about building your business, but this is what you've given your life to mm-hmm. so that entrepreneurs Entrepreneurs, you know, who take the leap to be an entrepreneur can actually be successful and enjoy what they're doing and like 
you know, give their life to something they want instead of a nine to five that they're not passionate about. So if you're coming from that is what is available and that's your job, that's all that you share, mm -hmm. you know? So for me, it's not a sales pitch. It's never a sales pitch for me. What I'm actually doing is I'm sharing what's available and like a mission field, like what I've given my life to, what I believe is my purpose. I know it's going to change their lives. And if that is true, why wouldn't I say something? You know? It's almost as if you put the care in healthcare. Uh, that's, really good. that's really good. So we're all passionate about what we do. That's all that we, you know, have to share. So that, that's, that's a good place to go into what I was going to talk about. Yeah, really and, good. Uh, uh, the first thing I'd say, the most important thing in sales, in my point of view, is uh, taking action. You can talk about it. You can plan it. You can, and you should, you should get prepared for sure. But what I've seen, especially with entrepreneurs and salespeople, they will plan and procedure themselves to death and they are mm -hmm. afraid to pick up the phone and take action. You, you take what you have and you go take action and you build upon it, but you keep taking action because the thing that, that people won't realize is that it's a muscle and you have to train it. So it's mm -hmm. easy. Like what you, what you're doing, mm -hmm. You're like, I'm tired. Hey, I can help you. That, I'm sure that developed. You mm -hmm. developed that. You didn't totally. just wake up one day and went, you know. Oh, this is easy. Yeah, well, you yeah no, development. It's something yeah. you have to develop. And if you're developing, getting ready all the time and doing two calls a day, uh, Heber touched upon that too. He actually looked to see what he was doing. He was only doing 20 instead of 50 or no, 100 or 60. He thought you were doing 150. Yeah, I felt like, yeah. He said 50, 60. You thought Talk to everybody in the whole neighborhood by now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, you need to take that action and prepare. I, I say prepare on the way. If you want to take a week and prepare, a month to prepare, but have that deadline that you take mm -hmm. action, even if your one sheet isn't ready, with a one sheet's uh, showing what your product is or products, um, your video, your sales pitch, whatever it is, mm. make sure that you take action because that's the biggest thing I see people get blocked. They lack the skill in an area, so they're afraid to take action because of the rejection, the failure, the personal uh, sabotage or the personal pain you're going to have. But take action because the thing that people I, I don't realize is that uh, you will, you might not have a 80% close rate or a 50% close rate. I'm about 50 to 70% close rate, but um, but you will have a close rate, which is better than zero. Mm -hmm. So 10% of the the, mm -hmm. the deal out there, if that's what's stopping you, is better than zero. Um, so develop that skill. Most people, will you say you're a recovering perfectionist, right? Mm -hmm. I stole that from you. I use that now. I stole it from a guest. On That's so good because it's like um, if I'm waiting to have the thing be perfect in order to have confidence, I'm not developed in my sales. I should mean nothing. I should mean nothing. I should be able to go and deliver exactly what I'm selling without any external, you know, justification or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you can build upon. I mean, of course, yeah, we'll get prepared, do your stuff, but don't let it stop you from taking action. So if you're getting to the point as a salesman and you're underwhelmed, as I like to say, and you're not willing to take action anymore, because a lot of salesmen, like you're saying, you you got to take action. Like anything you do, if you're a carpenter, I mean, you got to go do your job, right? Sure. Sales is a profession. So when you're getting to the point where you're resisting taking action. Like you're burnt out. Burnt out, whatever, whatever your consideration is. If, if you're not, if you're either seeing your sales plateau or you've, you're just not making the effective actions that are there, what do you recommend? Take action. What does that look like? What specific action? Well, it depends on what your sale is. Like I sell a natural supplement. I go to the store and open the door, walk in and say, Hi, I'd like to talk to someone that's in, that can make a purchase for an actual supplement. Mm -hmm. And it can be just a rough 
I've got this. This is how much it costs. So no matter how bad it is, no matter, just don't stop. So just keep going. So here, here's something. So my first, not my first, really, the sixth store. We're we're in 300 stores, but in my sixth store, I went. We went to. Um, I actually didn't go. Actually, it was my ex fiance. So the sixth store, it was five and six. Uh, we, I saw the owner outside. There's a Sinclair gas station right down the street here. And uh, we, um, trying to think out and tell the story. So uh, I, we drove by and we wanted to go there. It's right there, right? And so I'm like, hey, he's there. Go, go make the sale, right? Um, now, what we had was we started with Ziploc bags. And it had a little label cut on the front. A little label book on the black, on the back, and it's just a Ziploc bag hanging on a uh, um, on a stand, like a peg a pegboard, not a pegboard, but a peg stand, and that's it. And I had a little sign on it, and that's it. That's all I had. Hmm. She walked in with it. She was waiting because he had a customer. She was standing there right next to the counter. The customer looked up. This really happened. Looked up and she goes, "Hey, how much are these?" And he pulls it off the rack that she's holding. Huh. And he looks at her and she says, I think it was three ninety nine. And he goes, Okay, I'll take two. He takes it off the off the rack, buys it, <sighs> and guess what happened? We got the sale. <laughs> so but that but the, the I didn't do that sale, but we put it together. But the point of that is what you're asking, it was not. I, I actually have a picture, I don't have it with me, but I have a picture of it when I've done this when I do a seminar talking, I ask people, what is wrong with this picture? And they cut it. It's pieces. Oh, it doesn't look good. And then I tell them there's nothing wrong with it because we made the sale. The customer, the customer's customer bought it off the rack and we hadn't even sold it to the retailer yet. Um, so, and that's, if we didn't move when we didn't have packaging or labels or whatnot, of course you have to do everything legally and not saying do something bad, but if we sell our butts, we would never. I don't know if we would ever. We would have not moved forward, but we moved forward, and we were in two more stores. Yeah. When I was going door to door, the uh, our saying was uh, the hardest part of the job was getting out of the car. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. You still have to do everything else. Yeah. But it's exactly what you're saying: getting out of the car and knocking on that door and hearing whatever you're going to hear. Mm-hmm. And I've I've done uh, a consumer door to door like you, but I I rather usually go to businesses because it's it, it, it's easier. It really is easier. I think it's easier. Um. So I commend you for going door to door to houses. Uh, number two with that I would say is when I go to somewhere to make a sale is that uh, like McCall uh, was saying is uh, have a you you should have your pitch right. But the most important thing, number two, number one is action. Number two is listen. Don't go there and just dump your pitch on someone. You have to hear what, because they're usually going to ask you what they need to hear to buy a product. Mm -hmm. They're going to say, how much is it? Does it sell? Does it work? I mean, these are the questions. Do you guarantee it? And uh, what if it doesn't sell? You'll hear the questions, and it's actually, I feel like sales, our conversation. Mm-hmm. So you have to actually listen and hear, what, like hear what they're asking, hear what they want, because they're going to tell you what they want. Yeah. And you just have to deliver. And for service sales, if I can just plug in too, mm-hmm. a lot of people ask questions that are kind of vague. Well, like, how do you do that? Or what does that look like? And if I can find a question that narrows in their own question, like, well, what would make a difference for you? Or, well, what are you dealing with? Or what symptoms do you are you specifically wondering about? Then they'll be like, oh, well, yeah, I was thinking about anxiety or I was thinking about this or that. And then you can custom your pitch. So mm-hmm. sometimes their question is really general, mm-hmm. but they do have something. They they have a reason why they're asking. Yeah. And if yeah. you can pull that out of them, then Yeah, I mean, really sometimes you have to listen and I call, I call it digging. You have to dig, <laughs> right? You have to dig, okay, well, that's pretty general. I have no idea how to address it. What are you really asking? And, you know, we, we've not argued, but we've, like, discussed this before in other shows. Sometimes people won't tell you. Mm-hmm. They won't tell you. For whatever reason, their upbringing, they're busy, they don't trust you yet. 
Um, because uh, I, I, I mean, you know, you can go back and build rapport, and that's that's a whole other thing. But that's not number three. So number one is action. Number two is listen. Uh, number three is kind of two things. Um, you have to ask for the sale. Mm-hmm. I've heard and seen so many people. They will give their pitch. They'll have the conversation, and they never ask for the sale. They yeah. never say. How many do you like? That's like closing questions. You don't ask them, would you like some? Do you want to do this? How many would you like? Yeah. Uh, Would you like to get a rack today or do you want to do it next week? You ask closing questions. But you have to ask for the sale. And the second part of that is to shut up. Once you ask, don't say a word. Now, it's not, I'm not saying that it's like whoever talks first loses, if you've heard that before. Like you guys have heard mm-hmm. that. Yep. But you just ask them a question. Let them answer it. Because it might be a yes. Yep. Yeah. And, and within that, I've also heard uh, people, um, I never do it, but people, <laughs> people, they say yes, but they don't say yes, I would like three and they speak that like in a clear manner right they say yes in a sentence or in a roundabout way mm. and i if i'm like training someone or i'm with a friend I'm like they, they sold me this car go 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 it's a yeah. i'm like shut up write the order <laughs> yeah, right because they just said yes i'm like what are you doing yeah and they take the sale away i've actually seen salespeople take the sale away the yep. person just you just ask them and they said yes and you you didn't hear it. You weren't listening. Yeah, yeah. You know, number two, you weren't listening. You got to do one, two, three. One, two, three. You got to write that order. Take action. You got to deliver the product. You got to listen to what they're saying, and you got to shut up. That's Ask great. for the sale and shut up. Brilliant. So those are the three things. Really good. Cool. And great. anything else you guys would like to add? No, um, but show? maybe let's go over. Like what stood out to me about Heber is that what's possible, right? What's possible is a 50% close rate or sell rate, however you would say that. Mm-hmm. So can we just synopsize sure, sure. kind of the points of what's possible? Uh, track your results um, so that you know what's missing and how you can be more effective. Um, and research and listen and find a mentor. Find somebody who's um, willing to hold your hand. And keep you motivated and inspired. And you can have a 50% close rate. Um, for me, deliver what the actual value is, not all the minute details, um, and really be present to your passion and your reason behind it so that when you're communicating that, you're not selling, you're actually just delivering what's available to people which we care about. And you can have up to 80% in, uh, what is it, service sales. <laughs> Can I jump in real quick? We have, yeah. a, we have a question. Uh, Heber asked, uh, you know, Divine, uh, she's struggling with ch- what to charge, it sounds like. How do you go about it? Now, mm-hmm. she didn't define it more, but maybe we could like discuss it. Look at the market. Mm-hmm. No matter what you're doing, there's, there's a market for it. I would analyze the market. Um, don't overcharge on your market, yeah. you know, um, and don't undercharge either. Charge what the rest of the market's charging, and then take it from there. If, uh, like in services, if you're booked out, start raising your prices. If you're uh, if you don't have a lot of clients, drop your prices a little bit. Um, that would be my call. Um, I think that's why. Are you done, Yeah. I think that's wise to look at the market for sure. Um, and I would also, I would go to the mentor, um, you know, somebody that can say, you know, here's what you're worth, here's what you should be charging. Most people in service sales tend to undercharge. That's why I'm saying, you know, I wouldn't necessarily like raise my prices if you were low. I would say, what is the value? Because you're marking a value and then have nothing about it. You know, don't be like, well, I charge 90 an hour. You know, you kind of get weird about it in service sales. Be like, Here's the facts, you know, just like I'm reading out of the dictionary or something, you know, here's the definition of this word, here's how much I charge, and they can decide whether they want to do it or not. Um, so I charge kind of in between 
um, whatever my market is. You know, so I'm kind of in between. Um, that's what I do. I would say listening. I talked about listening. Listen to your customers. So get out of your mind whatever you've decided that they're going to say and ask some people you think might buy your product. Get a good sample size and let that and the market price influence what you charge. Um, I actually forgot what I did until you said the check the market. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of market research and it doesn't have to, it depends on what kind of type you are, type uh, analytical or creative. You don't have to, I'm kind of both, but I lean on, I'm mostly creative. You can go on the internet, you can Google, you can look at a ton of prices. It depends if you're selling stuff in a store or you're selling online. Sometimes things are higher online. Sometimes things are cheaper in the store. It's usually mm -hmm. vice versa, but it depends. I was, I'm doing supplements. So it's actually pricier in some ways online. Uh, and then you have to look at your, I would say you look at your value of your product how much value is your product really and where do you want to play because there's going to be a top tier middle low low really top tier mm -hmm. so it depends where and i'd say uh you know we're talking about your market you also have to see what i've learned because of marketing you have to see if you can reach that market you want to sell your mm -hmm. product to because if you have a fifty thousand dollar coaching program right I'm just making that up. If you have a $50,000 coaching program and you just started, how are you going to reach those people that are going to be able to pay $50,000? Yeah. Really, right? really good. Or what, whatever it might be. If you have a $2 product, you have to be able to reach those uh, those customers. So you get you have to really do a market analysis, and that's kind of what we're all speaking to. Yeah. Listen, mm -hmm. ask. You do a market analysis, but don't let it freak you out because that's what I've seen with entrepreneurs if you want to do it casual, you go to networking events and you ask people mm -hmm. and you remember or you take notes. You don't have to get all spreadsheet, Excel, you know. I mean, uh, our friend David, he is like, you say something, it's an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right? Yep. But I, I just talk to people and I remember it. I take notes and I, I do different things and I start I started developing it. Um, and interviewing people in your industry, too. I did a lot of that for service sales. You know, well, what does this practice charge for its different level of employees, you know, for the experience in the practice? And that really helped to see what other people were doing. So I could kind of model something similar. Yeah. And also say, where did you get your customers? So it's, you know, mentorship. And, and, I, and I, well, one more thing I want to say is that I've noticed, um, like, I charge fees for my marketing, and, and she does her coaching. You're starting to do that, and Hebrew does that. What I've seen, though, sometimes is that um, you, have, you have to find, like, a balance. I've seen people have a lot of posture, I call it, by having the value of their sale, because they're like, I'm, I deserve whatever, 50, we're using the number 50,000, because I don't think any of us are charging that. So it doesn't sound like I'm repeating anything. But I want to charge 50,000, and three months pass. I'm charging 50000 and they don't have clients or they're broke. Yeah. Think about that and have a doorbuster. Do a sale. Get your bottom line at least paid so that you can go after those other things so you're not trying to cover. Uh, be hungry. When I've done the most in sales, I was, on 50, I was doing 50000 a month. That's mostly why I'm using that number, is that um, – I treated every customer the same. I it's, I started losing those sales when I stopped doing that because I got kind of posture. Oh, this guy only wants a forty dollar bottle. I'm just, mm. I don't want to do that. I'm past that. So I the way I got there was I took care of everyone and I worked my way up and I I needed to, to keep doing that. Uh, but that was my experience. Everyone's going to be different. It depends on where you're at, where your personality is, where your character is, what fits you. But I, I don't want you to I don't want you to say they're getting broke because you're charging $150 an hour and you can't find anyone to pay for that. Mm -hmm. Have a sale. Charge $50 an hour because you're not working. Just for a limited like a limited group. Yeah. So um, if you're an entrepreneur and you're working and you're establishing a business by yourself. Uh, you don't have any employees, you don't have any partners, and you're on your own, 
it's a very isolated experience and it's a very lonely experience. So I actually recommend uh, to piggyback onto what you're saying is get a business coach. Like that's, I mean, that's actually one of the reasons we got into this business is because we have the ability to like look at what you have. We put it out on, you know, we put it into spreadsheets. We put it into a lot of different forms to look at actually what's missing. Mm -hmm. So being a lonely entrepreneur in my mind is unless I don't think there's a lot of trades out there that are expandable with just one person. So if you're an entrepreneur that wants to expand your business, it's going to take more people. And I think that one of the best things I know several people who start with a business coach because that actually keeps them accountable and it keeps pushing them in the direction that they need to go. And the business coach is going to encourage you to get other people behind you because anything that we do on our own is not only lonely, but we're always more effective doing it with others. Sure. Well, here we are in the mastermind group. Yep. We had to work some stuff out too, but that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so let's wrap up. I was going to add to that. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Let's have Elizabeth uh, wrap up. So I'm Elizabeth Masurvi, and I'm a life coach. You can check out my website, elizabeththeinterpreter.com. Yeah, and I help people become debt-free and love being at home with their kids. And you were giving us some synopsis of your, what you were sharing. I, 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 we talked about listening today and the difference it makes in sales, but also in every relationship. When you notice and are responsible for the noise in your head and able to get that out of the way so you can actually hear what people say. And I was talking about, uh, what was I talking about? The three, three important main things about uh, sales, the three most important things, top things about sales. Number one, take action. Wherever you're at, Take action. You can plan, you can strategize, you can do all that. That's fine. But don't let it stop you from taking action. If it's stopping you and you're saying, I'll do it tomorrow, and tomorrow will become a month or a year, stop and go make a sale. Try to make a sale. You might go to 10, 20 people and fail, but you're taking action. You've got to build that muscle. Two, listen. Listen to what the customer's saying because they're asking you, or they're usually going to be directing you to what they need to hear to make the purchase. And when I say they need to hear, I'm not saying why. I'm saying you're making an offer with your value, your product. We're not talking about that. Three, ask for the sale and shut up. <laughs> and that's it. Really Next. good. So uh, remember to uh, see Mastermind in your pocket uh, every week. Um, and we will have a new topic uh, soon, today maybe. Yep. And we'll share that with you. And you can call in uh, next week, 713-955-0531. And you can always comment on our Facebook or send us messages, and we'll answer you. And we're all available for a free consult. Yep, yep, mm -hmm. I am. Yep. You can book on my website, actually. There you go. See you later. Thank you, guys, for listening and watching. Could you... Uh, Turn off the thing, is that right? And I'll do this one.